0: you have your Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 6, John 6, we've been studying the book of John since really the beginning of the year, and we come now to the longest chapter in the book of John, it's actually the longest chapter in the New Testament, And this is one of those uh, Sundays where if you've got a Bible, you probably want to open it uh, because I'm not going to read the entire passage because we would be here till uh, well past noon. (laughs) Uh, So, but I will refer to different verses that maybe I do not read. And so, if you have a Pew Bible or or your own Bible, this would be a good opportunity to open that up and um, use it this morning. It might be helpful for you. This is God's Holy. An inspired word, John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. And so Jesus is saying, listen up. This is really important. He says, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him Him whom he has sent. And So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. Okay, keep in mind, he just fed 15,000 people. Okay? Give us a sign that we might see and believe in you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of... Now skip down with me to verse 60. When, the, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to him, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. the flesh is of no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer 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 walked. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to help us this morning. Father, this is a hard and very challenging passage. It was hard for them to hear 2,000 years ago. And it is going to be hard for us to hear this morning as well. But this is your word. and These are your words. And so we pray that you would stir us up with your word. And that we would take these words to heart. That you, through your spirit, would apply them to our hearts and change us. Lord, convince us this morning that we are a bigger mess than we realize, but also convince us this morning that Jesus is better than we think he is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Long family car rides, you remember those? Road trips, family road trips. We've uh, experienced a few of those road trips over the years in the Sterling family because we we haven't ever lived close to our families. And so we're traveling often a few times a year at least to vacation or to see one of our families. And it seems like every time we get ready for a big family car trip, a road trip in our family, uh, we forget the road trip before. (laughs) We have these expectations and it always happens that this will be the time that we finally get along as a family in the van, and so we again, our expectations is this is it, and so we pack the car with the best DVD that a kid, DVDs that kid TVDs that a kid could ask for. We go and buy the best snacks that money can buy. We have all of the games that you could possibly imagine. We have card car uh, games, we have coloring books and crafts. We have American Girl Dolls. We have it all. And it seems like before we get to I 20, someone is complaining about the DVD that we're watching. Someone doesn't like the snack that they are giving. Someone's knee has touched someone else's knee, and it is game on and we find ourselves, Susie and I, find ourselves hanging on for dear life, thinking, how in the world are we going to last a few hours in this chaos? You see, we always seem to think that this is going to be the trip where we enjoy life together as a family, but instead, it's almost never the case. We expect one thing, but instead, we get something totally different. You know what that's like? To expect one thing, but instead be faced with something that you didn't ask for and you did not see coming. That's where the disciples are in John chapter 6. They expected one thing, but boy, did they get something so much different than they bargained for. They got a whole lot of Jesus in this passage. Think about it. You were here last week, the beginning of John chapter 6. Jesus has the ultimate mic drop moment. Doesn't he? Jesus drops the mic. He feeds 15,000 people. I was in RUF for almost 12 years, and we had to raise our own support. We had to write newsletters to our supporters. This is front page newsletter material. Jesus feeding 15,000 people. Can you imagine the disciples? They're following him, and they're thinking, this is our guy. Jesus is our man. We are following him. They had a little bit more pep in their step, don't you think? And they're thinking in their minds, hey, we've got a mega church now. This movement of this little, these little 12 ragtag group of people is about to really start taking off. And then Jesus starts talking. He gets their attention with the miracle... And then he starts preaching. And let's just say that his sermon was not very well received, if you were paying attention. In fact, that is the understatement of the year. This, what happens here in John chapter 6, makes me break out in a sweat. Because it is a preacher's worst nightmare. 15,000 people all the way down to 12 in one sermon. Jesus here is saying some really hard things, really hard things, and some confusing things. How do we know? Look at verse 60. This is hard. (laughs) Who can understand this? Who can even listen to this, Jesus? And here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't blink. Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't. If it were me, I'd back way off and say, Woo, we got to get some feel-good stuff going here. No. Jesus actually comes harder. Look at verse 66. One of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And after this, many of his disciples turned back. Disciples. Not random people. People that were following him turned back, and never walked with him again. And then, did you catch it again? So he turned to the twelve. Okay? BJCC. And then the next day, down to twelve. In one sermon. And so the question that we need to ask is, what was it that Jesus was saying? What was his sermon Why was it so hard that many people decided that they were going to turn and never follow him again? That's the question we're going to look at this morning. And again, you can't cover everything. If you try to cover everything, you end up saying nothing. Okay, so we're not going to cover every single verse in this. That would be impossible. We're going to fly over at 30,000 feet, and we're going to look at three things that were hard about what the people were hearing that day. And the first one is this. It was hard because Jesus exposed them. Secondly, we're going to see that it was hard because Jesus was making exclusive claims. And thirdly, we're going to see it was hard because he challenged their pride. So let's look at those three things. Number one, he exposed their hearts. Look at verse 26. He feeds the multitudes and they go after him. They track him down. And then Jesus says again, truly, truly, I say to you, and anytime we see that in the Bible, we should listen up because Jesus is saying, this is really, really important what I'm about to say. And he says, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, because remember, the signs that Jesus were doing, was doing was meant to point to him. And he says, so you're, you're not seeking me because of the signs, You're seeking me because you got your bellies full. That's the opening line of his sermon. You want to talk talk about coming out of the gate strong. He comes out of the gates very strong. And he says that in the very opening line. He exposes their hearts. And basically he says to them, You're following me because I'm doing something for you physically. You're following me because of the benefit that I'm giving you. You're not following me for me. And I think this is really important. And we've got to pay attention to this. Because again, truly, truly. So this is one of the most important points in Jesus' sermon here. And it's this. There is a way for us to do Christianity. And totally miss Jesus in the process. There is a way for us to go about Christianity and only be seeking the gifts and not the giver of the gifts. In other words, there's a way to be doing this and seeking Jesus only for what we can get from him. not Not seeking him just to get him. And that is not really loving and following Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's a wake-up call, isn't it? That should sober us up because here's what it's saying. that it's, It is possible for us to live the good life, to go to church every week, to even receive the word with joy. It's possible for us to lead all sorts of small groups and Bible studies and teach a kingdom community. And yes, it's possible to even be a pastor like me and not really love Jesus. You see, that's frightening. And it was hard for them to hear, and it's hard for us to hear, because Jesus is saying, it's possible for you to follow me, and I not really be the object of your love and affection, but that something else is really the object of your love and affection, and you are simply using me in order to get what you want. And Jesus says to them, don't look at the food that perishes. Look at the food that I deliver because it gives you eternal life. And I will give it to you because I have come into the world not to dispense gifts. I am the gift. I am the bread of life. Charles Charles Spurgeon has this famous illustration and it's been used in tons of times and in various context, but it's a great illustration, and he tells about a kingdom long ago in which a gardener grew this huge carrot, and he takes this carrot to give it to this prince, and the prince could discern that the gardener had a pure heart, and that he was giving it to the prince because of his love and devotion for him, and he discerned that the gardener did not expect anything in return, and so as the gardener's leaving, the prince looks and says, My son, you see all of this land, I give you this land, now go produce an even greater crop. The gardener left full of joy, but a nobleman overheard what had happened. And so the nobleman thinks, if that's what he gets for a carrot, what would he get? What would I get if I gave him this nice, fine, expensive horse? So the nobleman takes this horse into the prince and gives it to him. And the prince discerns his heart and says, You expected me to give as I gave to the gardener, but I will not because you two are very different. You see, the gardener gave me the carrot, and you gave yourself the horse. See, friends, Jesus is saying here in the opening line of his sermon, he is daring us to ask the why question. Why is it that you do what you do this morning? Why are you here this morning at Faith Presbyterian Church? Are you here this morning to worship God and get to know him better? Are you here simply to maintain a good reputation in the community? Are you here this morning just simply to soothe your guilt and make yourself feel better? Do you obey God because you know that that is the way and the path to life, or do you obey God in order to get things from Him? Do you obey and follow Jesus and show up and do all the right things so that God will give you more income? So that God will give you good kids or provide a person for you to marry? See, how do you know this morning that you're using Jesus or you're really loving Jesus? Well, there's lots of ways to find out, but one way is find out how you handle personal suffering. In other words... What happens when you think you're doing everything right and you've worked hard to follow Jesus and then all of a sudden things go wrong for you and don't turn out the way you planned and you, all, you suddenly do not get what you want? That's when you know. Because at that point, your heart is outed by reality. And the true condition of your heart will be revealed. When it gets difficult, What comes out of you? Is it anger and frustration and grumbling? Or is it belief and trust in God? You see, when the going got tough for the crowds, they left. And the question Jesus is asking us this morning is, will we? Will we? Secondly, this was hard for them to hear because Jesus was making exclusive claims about himself. And it shouldn't surprise us really, because remember, all through the Gospels, and we even uh, talked about this at the very first sermon in John chapter 1 is that if you look at the Gospels and we see it here, that no one just simply likes Jesus. <laughs> no one, there's no middle of the road with Jesus, no one just shrugs him off. Remember, you either love Jesus or you hate Jesus. They either wanted to crown him as king or they wanted to kill him. Look at verse 15. If you have your Bible, we looked at it last week. After Jesus does the miracle, what do they do? They want to make him king. He's the one we've been waiting for. And then all of a sudden, one day later, they leave him. They desert him. Why because the claims that he was making about himself were hard to hear. Look at verses 32 through 35. Jesus calls God his father. Okay, think about what's happening there. God they're saying, you know, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. And Jesus says, "No, he did not. God gave you the bread, in the manna in the wilderness." And so who's giving you the bread now? I am In other words, I am God, the God of Exodus. I am him in the flesh. God is my father. That's why at the end of chapter 5, that's why they wanted to kill Jesus. Because of the claims that he was making. Jesus was not just saying, and notice, these aren't claims that other people are making about Jesus. These are claims that Jesus is making about himself. He's saying, I'm not just one way of many to get to God. I am the way. To get to God. Chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way. The truth. And the life. And no one comes to God except through me. Isn't it interesting? We often think that what we're experiencing now. uh, With our faith and with Christianity. Is very unique. Because that is not a popular thing to say. But it's nothing new. See, it was just as hard for people, as hard as it is for people to accept today, those claims that Jesus makes, it was just as hard for them to accept 2,000 years ago. Look at verse 42. You're not God. You're Mary and Joseph's son. You're crazy. You see, it was hard for them to accept. But here, here, and I don't know where you are with Jesus this morning, But if you're skeptical of Jesus, you have got to deal with the claims Jesus makes about himself. Because no one else in any other religion makes the claims that Jesus makes. You also got to deal with the fact that Jesus, the people that were closest to him, that knew him the best, believed that what he was saying was true. Look at verse 69. Where else are we going to go? We, we believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. But notice his claims have a purpose. Look at verse 35. It's not claims just to make claims about himself, but they have a purpose. And he's saying, I have come to bring you life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Bread back then was not optional. It was a primary food. And you needed it daily for your nourishment. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is looking out at these crowds and he is saying, just like you can't live without bread, you cannot live your life without me. And you are looking for something in your life because it's a human desire. You're longing for something to fill you up looking for a place to find life, and Jesus says, I am that place. I am the bread of life. And yes, years ago when God provided manna to you in the wilderness, you had to go back to it day after day after day. But now I am here. The God of the Exodus is in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, and He's saying, what I am offering you is so much better. Come to me, and by faith, you will never hunger again. Friends, what if what you have always longed for in your life is staring you right in the face this morning, through the bread of life, through Jesus Christ himself? You see, like Nicodemus, you've been coming... The last few weeks, we looked at Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the paralyzed man. Jesus was right in front of them, and they totally missed Jesus. Because they missed, they got stuck at the sign. And these people are stuck at the sign. They think he's talking about literal, physical bread. And Jesus is saying, that points to me. That points to me. I am the bread. Come and receive me by faith and have life. Thirdly, it is hard for them because it also challenges their pride. So he makes exclusive claims, he exposes our hearts, and then he also challenges our pride. Look at verses 63 through 64. You know, you would think that towards the end of his sermon that he would take the foot off the gas just a little. But what's interesting is this is when he comes with his hardest point. He comes with the knockout punch. Look at verses 63 through 64. Jesus says, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. And then he says, but there, is some, there are some of you who do not believe. By the flesh here, Jesus is talking about our natural abilities. And he is saying to us this morning, and he was saying to the people, and it's hard to hear because he's saying, you know, the problem that you have is that you cannot do for yourself what you, and you cannot give yourself what you most need. You cannot give yourself spiritual life. You do not have the strength in and of yourself to receive this bread that I am talking about. You cannot do it. You do not have the power to do it. Unless, look at what he says, verse 37, 44, and 65. Unless I invade your heart, and unless the Father draws you. And he's been saying this over and over in the book of John. You see how he's challenging their pride? And the people, maybe they've been following Jesus for a while, and it's at this point, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. They say, enough is enough. We're out. We can't do this anymore. How dare you, Jesus, tell me that there is something I can't not do in order to get this bread? That will last forever. How dare you Jesus. Tell me that I can't do something. Because I am a powerless sinner. And that's what Jesus was telling them. And so they turned and walked away. And you see that really is the crisis point isn't it? That's the crisis point. In all of our lives. It's the place when we realize. That we have nothing to bring to Jesus. That the only thing Jesus wants from us is to come to him empty-handed and say, I've got nothing to contribute to my own salvation. And the only way I can come to you is if you soften my heart and draw me to yourself. But Here's what's interesting. Yes, but notice that John never downplays human responsibility. Did you notice that through the passage? It's all the way through John chapter 6. Look at verse 37. On the one hand, God is in in complete control. You cannot come unless he draws you. But on the other hand, we see that you are 100% responsible to come to Jesus. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me will never be cast out. You're 100% responsible, and yet you are 100% dependent upon God to draw you. That sounds like a paradox, and that's because it is. And the Bible does not excuse that away. From Genesis to Revelation, we see those two things, human responsibility and God's sovereignty, are side by side, and there is no apology for those things. But the call is the same. Friends, this morning, if you're not a Christian, the call of God is to come and believe in him. God commands you to believe. And you see, these words are hard and they are so strong that people turn and walk away because they could not take it. Because when the gospel is preached, sometimes even those who consider themselves to be Christians walk away. If you're here and you're visiting this morning, I'm really sorry (laughs) that this is the Sunday that you came in on, and you've got to be thinking, man, I thought I was going to leave here feeling better. But I want you to think about this. Isn't this what we need to hear? Listen, it's definitely not what we want to hear, but isn't that what we need to hear? Meaning, Jesus saying, I'm the bread of, of life. You're going to find life somewhere. You can find it in the world, and it will never last, or you can find it in me, and it will last forever. Isn't that really what we need to hear? And also, isn't it good for us to just be honest that the Christian life is really, really hard and difficult? And isn't it good to know that sometimes it's even hard to believe? And the chapter closes, and we'll close here. With Peter's greatest moment. He had a lot of moments that were iffy. <laughs> but boy this is a good moment. Look at verses 66 through 69. After this hard teaching. Jesus says are you going to leave too? And Peter responds where else can we go? There is no place that we can go. Because no one has the words of eternal life. But you. Translation. This is hard Peter's saying, this is hard, I don't like it, this is not exciting, it does not feel good, but where in the world are we going to go? Yes, it's hard to follow you, and sometimes it's so hard that it makes me feel like turning away, but to what? Where else will we go? See, the disciples understood that. So we'll leave that with you this morning. You're thinking, so what are we to do? Well, look at verse 29. That's what they ask. They ask Jesus the same question. So what are we to do? And the answer is the same, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian this morning. Verse 29, the work of God is to believe. Let me give you something to do. Jesus says, believe in me. Come to me. And that's what I love about this passage. Because we can get overwhelmed very quickly in the Christian life and thinking of the hundred things that we got to do and the hundred things that we're not supposed to do. And Jesus, I just want you to worry about one thing. Believe in me. Come to me. And put your faith and trust in me. Rest, that's what we're to do this morning. To rest in Jesus alone for what he has offered us. And he has offered us and provided everything that we need in order to have life in him. And so the question this morning is, will you come to Jesus? And I hope you will, because there is nowhere else to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for offering yourself as the bread of life. Lord, forgive us for how we often look to other things, for our satisfaction, and we look to other breads other things, uh, other wells in order to draw water from. And we need your forgiveness. I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning uh, and that you would remind us uh, that in you is true life. Lord, give us faith to believe another day. If someone here uh, this morning and they don't know you, I pray that you would open their eyes and that you would give them faith and that you would draw them to yourself.